What's going on? This is Mark Melvin with Mark Melvin Talks. We're going to have a cool ass show today. We're going to talk about why comedy and what and who were my influences. Thank you. Right after this. Good morning. This is Mark Melvin with Mark Melvin Talks. And I'm right here doing what I'm supposed to do, being where I'm supposed to be. Today's episode is about why comedy and who were my influences. Now, I had to take you all the way back to the very beginning. I grew up in this little town uh, called Warren Center, Pennsylvania. That's where I, I, I did my little young upbringing. And my parents lived in Philadelphia and Baltimore. So people would come out to the country to our house to come relax during the summertime. And I remember it was this one young brother. He was uh, kind of tall. Well, when you're three and four, everybody's tall. But uh, he was a skinny brother and he smiled a lot. And I don't know if he ever got famous, but he did stand up right in front of my bedroom door right by the fireplace and all the adults gathered around. And I just remember this guy like talking and everyone's listening. And I was like, what is he doing? Like you're a little kid trying to figure it all out. So then in uh, 1981, I was born in 72. So that had to be like, that's uh, what uh, nine? You tell I'm a genius. <laughs> he couldn't figure out the, anyway took me to see Bill Cosby himself. Now I'm watching this guy sit in a metal chair, like one of them lawn chairs you use at a family reunion. Like he's sitting in this chair, he's wearing this little gray suit and he's, he's drinking a soda and he's talking to people. Like it wasn't like he was telling a knock knock joke or something you heard in school, but he was literally just talking about his, his life, his kids, uh, all kinds of different, you know, topics about him and people were, they're cracking up. And I think that was at the, the Binghamton arena, whatever that was, was so long ago, uh, right across the state line, in New York from where I grew up from. It, it, it was, it amazed me. And then, so life went on and later in life, you know, I never really went to a comedy show until I met my wife that I'm with now. She was very into going to comedy shows, and I can remember seeing the, the kings of comedy at the, I believe it was the Paramount Theater in Oakland. I was living in the Bay Area, and the Oakland Coliseum, and just seeing different comedians, like even now in Vegas, like uh, Kevin Hart, Mike Epps, and uh, Chris Tucker, and uh, George Wallace, and you know whoever was here, we were like, ooh. And so I started writing, and, um, you know, life goes on, I'm writing, I'm telling people, and I had a MySpace, and I can remember I was going to call myself Do That, D-O-O-D-A-T-T, uh, -T. I think that was my MySpace page, and I didn't move that far with it, so life kept going, and I was on the internet, and I saw that they had this uh, comedy institute in Las Vegas, Las Vegas Comedy Institute run by a comedian named Don Barnhart, and I was like, wow, this is cool. So I took the course and I can remember being in there nervous as shit. And I don't mean a little bit of nervous. I mean like you're a little kid walking up on Shaquille O'Neal bully, nervous, like shaking. 
So I did it. I went on stage in front of the class a few times, and then we started getting a little a uh, little more comfortable. And I I remember I had a microphone set up at the house, and the first time I had been on stage in a club was an open mic at the um, I was on vacation um, at the comedy store in La Jolla. And it was like a minute or two minutes, whatever it was, and it was like five people in the audience and got a couple chuckles, but I did it. So I was like, okay, broke my cherry. And I can remember just seeing all the famous people on the walls, like people I grew up watching. It was like, wow, this they were on this stage and this is how you start. So I started doing um, open mics um, locally and I did about eight open mics till about 2017. And before I get into who my influences are, I have to tell you about the time I bombed. Uh, I went up about eight times, I was doing good. And this night in particular, now I don't smoke anymore, but at the time I was smoking for anxiety relief. And I had a tall can of beer, I think I had some chicken wings and I had a little doobie and I went into the club and I, I went into the open mic with the intention of just supporting the other comics, being in the audience, laughing and having a good time. Well, the host was like, come on, man, just go ahead. Just go in there. Yeah, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I said, no, I'm just chilling, man. He's like, no, you can do it. And I'm like, I never went on stage under the influence of anything. So I went up there and obviously, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a good guy to drink a beer and go on stage because I totally bombed. Everybody, it was crickets on everything I said. And, you know, I thought I was going to be funny. And everybody was just like, what's wrong with this motherfucker? Like, he's off tonight. Something's wrong. And I got in my feelings. And someone is... Uh, okay. I got in my feelings. And I was like, I stopped. But I didn't stop writing. But I learned something from that. I learned, I was like, okay, you bombed, so what? But then, you know, writing for a couple of years and life goes on again. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, I keep writing. So now I'm posting uh, sit-down stand-ups where I'm telling jokes or I'm just riffing or improvising about something or giving my opinion on my podcast show about something. Um, that's where I'm at now until the world opens back up. So definitely we'll be back in doing stand-up and I'm, I'm doing it now. You know, uh, if you're on me, I'm on um, Mark Melvin Talks. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. You can see my videos. I have a Facebook page, Mark Melvin Talks, where I streamline everything. I'm also on Reddit if you're on Reddit. So check me out follow like uh, I will follow back um, I'm always open to listen to other people I love listening to people that are unknown I think that's when we're the hungriest and where you hear some of the best stuff uh, uh, from unknowns are hysterical so I enjoy listening to other comedians um, now who are my influences uh, I didn't get to the why I'll get to that my influences, I have to say one of my top major influences in comedy have to be George Carlin, uh, Richard Pryor, and Patrice O'Neill, like top three. And now George Carlin for the reason of, oh my God, this guy could really change your mind 
about how you felt about something because he was he knew himself so well and he was such a non-bullshitter like he cut all the way through the chase and he would cut the chase too you know he really just got at the point he drove it home why was it hilarious because you knew he was being brutally honest his wordplay games uh, his writing style the way he did it the energy and enthusiasm which he did it I think that he just spoke his truth and so far as like punchlines and setups and different kinds of things that those were going on but he was really just telling his truth and I think that's there uh, there's a connection with that that when people watch you perform and they know man that's how he really feels I think a comedian has the ability to change someone's mind or give them the opportunity to change someone's mind about what they might have thought about a particular person or topic or thing or place and now you have an opportunity to see it differently because someone had the boldness and the courageousness to tell their truth about how they felt and let the chips fall where they may yeah you, you see hip hoppers do that today in in um for years in in rap you know they're saying how they feel about something you're like hmm you know and look at it like that it's poetry with music same thing um Richard Pryor, why did I like Richard Pryor so much? Richard Pryor was like the to me was like Flip Wilson was before my time. So so Pryor and Chappelle was like, you know, whoa to me with the the skits, uh the the, the films and the stand up. Richard's stand up was so um himself. Now I know he had a writer. It was, it was Paul Mooney, I believe. But I I mean could have had writers but when he delivered it it was just so uh his feelings flowed through everything he said when he talked about he got burned and the drugs and the guns and the the relationships like he was really putting it out there and i think people are able to connect with him particularly and other comedians that make a tremendous uh success uh like Richard Pryor son live at Sunset Strip he's just telling you what it is and like Carlin that that bold truth you know with a little shuck and jive to it people really connected to that and so did I uh Patrice O'Neal Patrice O'Neal is a standalone um what can I say the 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 sad part about it for me for Patrice O'Neal was you you don't get a chance to see every comedian you know you might see ones that you're attracted to something they say or they stand out to you in some kind of way. And I saw him, I didn't really pay him any attention. By the time I saw Patrice O'Neal, he had been passed away for years. And I didn't know. I googled him. I was like, "Oh, this guy passed away in 2011." I, I it, it made me sad. I was like, "Oh, I missed out on this genius. This this guy I remember watching different shows of his and I finally got to on YouTube uh the elephant in the room the elephant in the room to me was life altering it was life changing and i'll tell you why is because i read an article uh they have a um like a fundraiser for patrice and um i believe it's his wife and kids um every year his friends get together they might have like a roast of him and 
talk about his accomplishments or celebrate him. Do you know how bad of an MF you got to be for someone to celebrate you every year? That's like Edgar Allan Poe. There's people that still go to his grave and he's been passed for like 150 years. You know, that's the kind of influence that he had on people. And I didn't uh, listen to the, I believe it was uh, Opie and Anthony and I didn't catch the Bill Burr talks. I didn't catch a lot of these interviews. I was, came in late on this. But in just watching his stand-up was such a powerful influence of bold, courageous truth. And he would say that, tell the truth, tell the truth. And the way he could take a topic and spin it to this personal, minute, <clears throat> such a crevice opinion that no one ever thought of before. It was like, it's almost like he played devil's advocate and he put the, the, the fork in his hand. It was like, well, what about this? And, and you're like, oh my God, I never looked at it like that. And he was, uh, so courageous to, to speak to the audience the, the way he did. It was just phenomenal. Like, I, I think that were he alive today, I think he would be uh, teaching classes. And I also listened to him speak about, you know, he, he stays within a certain price range, which basically confirmed a lot of what we may consider speculation in the industry of Illuminati and favors and you know, once you get to a certain dollar mark, you get approached. People want you to put on the dress and do all kind of weird shit. Like to me, <clears throat> that was kind of confirming. Why did I believe it coming from his mouth? Because he didn't hold nothing back. And if anybody had a problem with him, that was the reason because he didn't play ball. It was like, I'm in my own court, you know, saying I'm not playing ball with y'all. I do me. And he was like, I love to get this Hollywood money, basically. I would love to be in these shows and do this, that, and the other. But, you know, when you're a writer or a filmmaker or, or a speaker or a hip-hopper and you're a creator, you don't want to give a leeway to your art or creative side to, to uh, the industry's financial backing. You know, when you don't want to sell yourself out. And I understood that, totally understood that. So if it was just touring and doing shows for him, that's what it was, and I respected it. He was definitely a very strong influence. Chris Rock. Chris Rock, at a certain age in my life, was like the god of comedy to me. If if you was Chris Rock, I was watching it. Uh, was it bigger and deafer or bigger and blacker? Uh, his his old albums was just like the way he commanded the stage. And uh, you know, watching him when I was in college do um, that movie New Jack City where he played the crackhead. You know, it's like, just put a little bit of my, in my hand. How much for a cup in my hand? A little bit, a little bit of soda. Like, how much for one rib? Like, it, hysterical. It, I can't say enough. I think he could have easily been a preacher the way he walked across the stage and commanded it. Like, there was no fear in him, no intimidation. He spoke, he spoke boldly, proudly, and he knew he was the authority of what he was saying. And uh, the documentary he did about black women's hair was... You know, it might not have been hugely accepted, I think, in our day and age, but 100 years from now, people will be looking back at that like, this guy was on one, like he was somewhere other people weren't at. Chris Rock, huge influence. Eddie Murphy, definitely a huge influence. I remember uh, listening to Eddie Murphy tapes when I was a kid, young, and, and it was like trying to keep the volume down because it was just so many cuss words. 
And the one that stuck out to me was the Goonie Goo Goo. You know, it's like, you know, the, the bitch stick her head in the water and come up with fish. And I just remember cracking up at the, the, the cussing and the things he would say. And it was only later in life that I had got into going back into history and saw Red Fox and um, different older comedians. I went back and researched it and listened to their their stand-ups. Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart is, is hysterical. I was born in Philadelphia. He's born in Philadelphia. So people coming out of Philadelphia, I tend to, uh, oh, you're from Philly? I pay attention to that. Um, Jim Gaffigan. I love Jim Gaffigan. He's, he's so clean and so funny. He can take, he's like the Seinfeld of the mundane everyday in his life. And he can take uh, Hot Pockets and McDonald's and talk about fruit and just, just have you crying, laughing. Um, another uh, um, person I respect, Bill Burr. Why do I respect Bill Burr so much? Because this guy is just, you know, hung out with Patrice. He has that, that bold courageousness where he just doesn't give a fuck. Like he is, to me, he is the Caucasian version of like a, a best friend of Patrice. He's in his own lane. He's not Patrice, but he's in his own lane and he's just ridiculously bold. And I'm going to wrap up my influences with Dave Chappelle. Why Dave Chappelle? <clears throat> As a writer, <clears throat> when I watched Dave Chappelle, his skits were through the roof. The, the nigger family, not the niggas, the nigger family, hysterical. The black Klansman, you know, when when keeping it real goes wrong, like you could go on and on and on. The sad part about it was I don't know the whole truth, but this guy, are you serious? This this guy, he walked away from his show, I believe, from what I heard, it was uh, a battle over uh, creativity. And I understand that. If that's what it truly was, it's like, this is your baby. This got your name on it. People are, are buying you, your mind, your heart, your brand, and then someone wants to come along and, uh, no, we're not doing that. If that's the case, you can just go on YouTube and, and make a pay-per-view channel or something. You know, it doesn't have to be on <clears throat> Comedy Central or on a network at all. And with the internet now, when you have fans, you can definitely pull your own channel on the internet. So... Definitely no need to uh, sell out for fame, fortune, and glory. You can definitely create your own. Why comedy? And I'll wrap it up with this. Why? Here is my why. It sounds corny, but it's true. To take smiles and laughter to people all over the world and in my everyday life. As a person that has suffered and does suffer from, from schizoaffective disorder, and schizoaffective disorder is a little bit of schizophrenia, but they can't label you schizophrenic. Um, you're bipolar, but they can't totally label you bipolar, and it's combined. So they, it's called schizoaffective disorder. And basically you go through a mania where you're like in this ecstatic bliss, and then you go through a depression where you're just like, I'm in the bed. And it can affect your, um, your work. It can affect your sex drive. It can affect your life goals and ambition. Uh, you don't want to get out of bed. 
you barely want to talk to people, you wear the same clothes, you might not shower, you know, breath might stink. <laughs> Uh, it, it's it's a lot involved, you know. You can hear audible hallucinations. You can see visual hallucinations. Um, <clears throat> it it can go pretty deep, and you you can become psychotic and just so paranoid and distrusting of everyone, and so obsessive over your paranoia, you can become impossible to be around, uh, accusing people and blaming people for stuff that they're not even thinking about doing, but. You're so in your own head. So for me, as a person that's, that's battled depression and been through the highs and lows of anxiety and panic and, and you know, there was a time I, I think I had an ongoing off and on panic attack for like a, two, three weeks. And I was like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, are the gods angry with me? You know, that I, you know, I pissed someone off in a former life as, as karma just reached out and was like, you're going to catch this. But um, to me, jokes are a therapy, uh, and it begins with myself. I can't help anyone else till I help myself first. So when I sit down and I write jokes, whether they're funny or not, you know, whether people laugh or not, I'll tell people my jokes. You know, I'll say how I feel. I'll give you my sarcasms and wit, and it's it's my personal spin on how I see life, and no one else is gonna see it exactly the way I do because it's only one me. So. When I do that, it gives me a catharsis. It gives me a release. And in turn, if someone else smiles and laughs, it gives them a release too. And I learned that um, laughter is like heroin and falling in love. So the moral of the story is like, if you don't fall in love, you can always know, is that it feels that good. So if you can take someone that's down in the dumps and down in the pits, and you could just put a smile on their face with something you said or a body movement or observation or a, a look in your eyes or a smile you have, I think that has got to be one of the most powerful things that you could provide another human being is to bring them a, a, a joy, a smile, a laughter, uh, a happiness. And I think it's more powerful than a weapon. It's more powerful than any nuclear bomb is to take someone from one mood because gets so effective as a mood disorder and then help move them forward into another mood just you and being your honest self so that's my why and my influences and this has been mark melvin talks i'm mark melvin and have a great day guys remember smile and laughter two most powerful things in the world Thank you all for listening. This has been Mark Melvin Talks. Don't forget to follow, like, or subscribe to Mark Melvin Talks at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and I do have a Reddit too. Thank you very much and have a blessed day. Peace.